let's pray and then uh, read the word of the Lord. Father, we come before you, uh, the author and the finisher of our faith, to rejoice in just the privilege of looking at your book. Father, to hear your words spoken to each and every one of us that is here this day. Father, I know that in this room there are those who know and those who don't. There are those who are playing and those who are worshiping. And I pray, Lord, that today for those who are playing and those who do not know, the reality of the living God shatters their lives. Father, may we who have ears let us hear. We who know the Son, may our hearts be open with joy and anticipation. And Father, as we hear from our brother Paul, the ministry of to the church in Corinth, may it be the ministry to the church in Castle Rock. May we rest full weight upon the awesomeness of the word of the living God, knowing that uh, heaven and earth shall pass away, but your word shall never. To your glory and praise. Amen. Chapter 3. Verses 1 through 6, beginning in verse 1, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Or do we need, as some, letters of commendation to you or from you? You are a letter written in our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifest that you are the letter of Christ, cared for by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human hearts. Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who also made us adequate as servants of the new covenant, not in the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills and the Spirit gives life. It's an amazing text if you really think about it. And we've been looking at it uh, because it comes out of a question that he poses in verse 16 of chapter 2. Who is adequate for these things? Who is adequate to take the knowledge of Christ to all people? To be an influence everywhere they go. Who's adequate to do that? And that's what we've been dealing with. The adequate minister. That's what he's doing. Paul's defending himself, absolutely. But he has to do it in such a way that it doesn't seem boastful. Because the false teachers would say, well, look, he's, he's boasting. All right. I was reading a book called Preaching and Preachers. It's, a, it's a, an amazing book. It's a phenomenal book um, written by a man that I cherish immensely, uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Uh, and in the sixth chapter of that book, um, he wrote basically in that chapter what he believed to be required qualities for a competent minister. Um, His course, Preachers and Preaching, it would be a competent preacher. Okay? And I want to give them to you um, as as an introduction into what we're looking at. The first thing he said, that a competent preacher, uh, a, a qualified Pastor, one, 
an unsaleable degree of spirituality. What? <laughs> okay. Um, he basically describes it as a man who discerns with his heart. Okay. And that's the spiritual is the single most important part of his life. Okay. He discerns with his heart. Right. Sounds reasonable. Second thing. All right. A deep knowledge of truth. But he has a caveat to it that I think is missing today. Obedient to the relationship of it. (laughs) I know some people right now who have a deep knowledge of truth. And aren't obedient to it. Thirdly. The man with character. Okay. You know, I kind of look at this as a yes is a yes, a no is a no. Uh, He kind of goes more into it. And it is characterized with wisdom, patience, and virtue. Okay. Fourthly. Now, remember, these are the characteristics of a competent minister. Fourthly, he understands people. Um, he, he, he understands human nature. Okay. I know a plethora of pastors who do not understand human nature. And it is, I, I, it is mind-boggling to me. But anyway. Um, fifthly, now this is Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, an unusual ability um, in a mental capacity. And everybody says, Terry's disqualified. Okay, he has a very large intellectual capacity. I know, <laughs> Terry's disqualified. And what are you doing? <laughs> you can't even speak American. Okay, which brings me to the sixth thing. Okay, must be able to speak effectively with a clarity. Okay, and uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones called it, he had to have the unction. And that took me forever to, oh, what? (laughs) I had an unction once, but it wasn't something I pursued. Um, Basically, from the English mindset, it is, does it with clarity, effectively, in the power of the Holy Spirit. That would be the unction. Okay, the power of the Holy Spirit. Seventhly, you guys, everybody starts saying, Terry's out of here. <laughs> um, must be trained, seventhly, must be trained in mental discipline. Okay. Basically what Dr. Jones said about this, it is able to think and reason systematically. Okay. I would classify it as common sense (laughs) but some of you may not choose that eighthly they need to have a a competent pastor minister needs a general knowledge of many things as well as the bible that means they're really good at trivial pursuit okay ninthly they must have a grasp of the original languages. 
so that they can maintain accuracy. Tenthly, they must be versed in theology, church history, and the heresies both past and present. Okay, now I don't need you guys all to be sitting there going, gee, the crickets, what is Terry? All right, because he closed with this. The chief thing that a competent minister should have is a love of God, a love of souls, a love of truth, and the Holy Spirit within them. Okay? Now, Paul has his list. You have them there. I like Paul's better because his is 5 verses 10. And we've looked at this. Verse 1. Do we, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Basically the word commend means start over. Reintroduce ourselves. Um, Paul is telling the Corinthians to be adequate as a minister. Do I need secondhand letters? To you to prove who, who I am? You know, I only spent almost two years with you. Was that for nothing? You do not know me. You do not know my life. You do not know my character. You do not know my personal habits. Okay. Do, do I need proper credentials from, quote unquote, someone in authority? Is not my life of godliness obvious? That's what Paul is saying. The second thing to be and to look at an adequate minister. You are our letter, verse 2, written on our hearts, known and read by all men, being manifested. You are the letter of Christ, cared for by us, not written with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. See, Paul says here an amazing text, if you really think about this. Your lives are our letters, my letter. What I did to you was deliver to you the truth of God. And it's obvious it's the truth of God because look at your lives. Okay, I want you guys to write this verse down. You can go look at it later because this is the one that's going to. uh, This is the one I pray will haunt you. Okay. And the reason that I, I say that, I'm not trying to you know, disturb anybody here. This is the one that haunts me. Okay? It comes out of the letter to the Philippians, chapter 4, verse 9. We're talking about ministry. Being the fragrance of Christ and the knowledge of Christ. Okay, please understand something. Yes, I do have a responsibility as the pastor to do that. But you know what? If you're saved today, guess what? Welcome to my world. You have a ministry of reconciliation. I want you to listen to this verses, this verse, sorry, verse 9. And I want you to think about something for a second. The things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me.
practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. You ever thought about that? Think about that for a second. What is the Great Commission? What is it that you are still here on the planet Earth for? To make disciples. To make learners. And it literally says, as you are going, make learners of all people. Okay, you want me to boil it down for you? The things you have learned, the things you have received, the things that you have heard, the things that you have seen in me, practice these things. I seen a picture. Um... Just before I moved to Colorado, I think it was 1978 or 79, me and my cousin were sitting on a, on a couch in an apartment that I was renting in southern Ohio. And um, when I looked at the picture, you know, I, I seen my cousin Jimmy there. And I looked at next to it, and I was like, what was Josh doing sitting next to Jimmy? Okay, then it dawned on me, dude, that's me. Okay, Josh was looking at the picture. He says, Dad, you know what's creepy about that thing? And I said, what's that? He says, I've got a shirt that looks just like that. (laughs) (laughs) Now, there's part of it that that comes out of the genetic side of it, and there's nothing you can do about it. But I want to ask you a question. Would you be willing to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and say, you see these people who are around me? They practice the things that they have seen in me. They practice the things they have heard in me. They practice the things that they have received and heard and learned from me. These people here act just like me. That's discipleship. What the Apostle Paul is saying here is that when I look at Transforms Lives, Corinthian Church, You guys are starting to act just like me. And so I need a letter of commendation. Paul says, you know what? My letters, my letters of commendation are you. I don't need somebody to say he graduated with this cum laude, whatever thing. I don't need any of that. Where did he go to school at? Does he have his master's degree? Does he have his doctorate degree? Does he have, you know, has he done this? Has he done that? You know what? If I was looking for another job or another place to do what I do, I would send them the church directory as reference. Please, I am not looking for another job. All right? Everybody's... Well, I, listen, I'm just telling you, here's the thing that you and I need to understand. There may become a time in your life, okay, where your job or health things or something happens where you have to relocate and you need to find another church. I would highly suggest that you look at a church based on these six verses. Does this leadership, does this church 
have a group of people that has an established godliness. You don't have to go around and tell them. And it's sort of like when women come up to me and say, well, you, I, you need to understand I'm submitted to my husband. You know what? Don't tell me. Tell your husband. Okay? Women who are submitted to their husbands never say nothing because they're submitted to their husbands. They don't have to prove nothing to me. And you know what? You don't have to prove anything to me. It's a form of godliness. I can tell a man who leads his house. I can look at his house. When I look at men for leadership in this church, you know who I look at first? His wife. Is she content? Is she godly? Because, you know, it's, it's like the Proverbs 31 woman. Everybody looks at that and says, Boy, I'd give you anything I could marry one of them. You know what? Why don't you act like a man of God and then you'll have one? That's your responsibility. If the woman isn't responding to the Proverbs 31 woman, it's your fault. Guys, you set the standard. All right? You are the spiritual leaders in your home. I don't care what. Well, you don't understand. I just don't have a personality. He doesn't say, well, a specific personality should be spiritual leaders. Your life should be transforming. See, Paul could look at the Corinthians and say, you know what? As an individual, God has used me for your salvation and sanctification. Their lives were the greatest letter of commendation that he could get. That's pretty good if you think about it. And you know what? It amazes me. I Just a little footnote on this. It amazes me today. Um, when a church searches for a pastor. Um, one of the things I have been on, uh, and I've only been on one. Uh, what do they call it? Um, they got a name for it. It's not a search com- search committee. Yeah, search committee. I've been on one, okay, uh, and, and then the pulpit committee because you graduate, okay, and it's an interesting thing. But you, you have this. I was, I was only on one, and the only reason I got on it was because the guy who was heading it up was slower in a seven-year itch, and I'm like, Jesus will come back and have gone back to heaven before this guy makes up his mind. All right, see, I was very spiritual. <laughs> somebody's got a counterbalance slow <laughs> all right that's my spiritual gifting <laughs> you know what all right i was in one of these and and i've watched how this works and one of the things that i see and it's consistent when a church searches for a pastor they send for him and they talk to him you ever notice that and then he has what they call the the, the sugar stick, they have what do they call it, the view of a call. And he has to preach a message. So what he does is he's got that one message that he knows that he can just, bam, this is it. This is my dandy here. Okay? And he preaches that and everybody goes, oh, wow, this is it. All right? That's how we go find a pastor. I would encourage you that if something happens to me and you need to get another pastor and you find somebody that you think can do it, that a bunch of you go from this church and talk to the people in the church he's in that his life has influenced. 
just an idea. Because if he's not transforming their lives, you don't want him. <laughs> Give me a break. Okay? And the Apostle Paul talking to the Corinthians says, I've transformed your lives. Really? You need a letter of commendation? See, Paul understood that the church itself was living letters. It wasn't a a pocket or a bag full of notes. These were people's lives he affected. And it's not read by those who can only read. Why? It is the aroma of Christ to who? Everyone has that man or woman of God accomplished that. It is read by everyone. It is read by everyone who touches the lives of the people involved in that congregation. See, it's not a bunch of letters of earthly friends. It is written by Christ. On living souls. It's not with ink. It's not chiseled in even into the stone. Which fades. Or breaks. But is written with the Holy Spirit. That grows brighter and confident more daily. Which brings me to verse 4. The adequate minister. Now listen. You really need to pay attention now. This is extraordinarily crucial to every single one of you. Okay. The adequate minister has confidence in the calling. Verse 4. Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Through Christ towards God. Paul says, you know what? I'm confident in my ministry. I do not need to come out defending myself for my own sake. I'm not trying to prove anything. I am not even trying to convince myself. See, one of the things that is amazing about the Apostle Paul, he never wavered about his calling. Now listen, if you wouldn't preach the message, let me ask you a question. Okay, you go to a place where everybody's got some kind of blend of religion. And you go in and you preach, Christ died for all of you sinners, the righteous for the unrighteous, and paid the ultimate price for all of your sins. We crucified him. But God said, this offering is truly the perfect offering, raised him from the dead. He's seated at the right hand of God the Father. He's awaiting the return to the establishment of the church. Okay, and the response was this. They took you outside and stoned you, trying to kill you. And they pulled you up on a piece, a pile of manure, and throwed your carcass there and said, this man is an idiot. And they walked away. And all of a sudden you gain consciousness. What would be your response? I've missed my calling. (laughs) I'm supposed to be a bus driver. What would you do? 
What would be your response? That just doesn't sound like the perfect church growth method. What would you do? You know what Paul did? He walked back in and continued. I believe there was a young man there named Timothy who witnessed that and said, that dude's either crazy or called. But either way, I'm following. See, Paul understood the moving of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit, and the giftedness of the Holy Spirit. And I believe that right there, where he makes this such confidence, we have. Okay? I believe this may be the single greatest necessity of strength in ministry. And I don't care what the ministry is. I don't care what you're doing in the body of Christ. If you are serving, do you have confidence in what you've been called to? To be confident in your giftedness, to be confident in your calling. So that nothing, no matter how hard it is, make you question your life's work. Did you hear what I said? Because let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. Your ministry is your life's work. And if you're saved today, you have a ministry. Guess what? You now have a life's work. Ain't got nothing to do with your job. Ain't got nothing to do with your pension plan. It ain't got nothing to do with where you're going to retire to or how you're going to retire or what your kids are going to do or if you got grandkids. Ain't got nothing to do with that. Your ministry is your life's work. And I wonder this day how many of you have any confidence in it. See? Do you have courage in your ministry? Do you have a boldness in your ministry? How about like Paul? Do you have a narrowness in your ministry? I remember reading a book by Charles Spurgeon called Lectures to My Students. And it started out with a fascinating statement. And he says, if you, speaking to his students, if you can bake bread, work wood, govern Politic, if you can do anything and be satisfied in it, leave now. Because you're not called to preach. But if nothing in life can bring you contentment but the proclamation of the word of God, then you're called. You know, I've had people ask me questions. Um, most of you, some of you know me. I was saved late. <laughs> that sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? Okay. I didn't make the eight-year-old curve. I didn't make the 14-year-old curve. Okay. Those, those seems, everybody, I was saved at eight or I was saved at 14. You're like, I wouldn't. <laughs> well, where were you saved? 25. <laughs> I'm sort of on the odd side. Okay. 
But I've had people ask me, I've been in leadership in this church for 20 years. If you were not doing this, pastoring, what would you do? I've had a lot of people ask that. They ask, they like to ask pastors that. If you weren't pastoring, what would you do? You ever thought about that? I remember when I, they asked me to be a pastor. And I thought, you guys are out of your blooming minds. Okay, because, and I've told you guys this. If you take the top one million things I want to be when I grow up, ain't on the list. Now, it might have been one million and one, but I figure if I cover a million things, then it ain't on the list. You know what? If somebody asked me that right now, if you weren't pastoring, what would you do? You know what my answer would be? I have no idea. I'm going to ask you a question. What would you do? Yeah, I kind of do some bivocational things. I do some electrical things here and work on some motorcycles over here and all the rest of it. But if you ask anybody who spends any time with me, what is the emphasis and the focus of everything I do? What would they tell you? The book. If I got to work at a manual on 78 Sportsters and what the heck? I don't understand this. Okay. I will spend more time in the word of God than I will in a manual or in somebody's attic, putting attic fans. Everybody wants attic fans in the summer. (laughs) That's how I keep my girlish figure. (laughs) Crawl up in the attic, you sweat like you're in some kind of box and you come out and you're like, "Ah, I just lost my water weight. But anyway. Do you see what I'm trying to get at? I I don't know what I would do. It isn't that I haven't done other things. But I want to ask you that question. Because, see, I'm dealing with a letter, 2 Corinthians, that deals with personal ministry. Personal service to the Lord Jesus Christ. How are you doing with that? Because I believe that the crucial thing is the exact thing that we're dealing with right now is do you have confidence in your calling and your giftedness? Be careful before you ask. I had somebody tell me one time, he says, I know what you'd be if you weren't a pastor. And I said, what's that? And he said, you'd be a lawyer. And I was like, what? He says, yeah, you love to argue. Or maybe you would be a CEO. You know, you you have a standard of work and you know how to work with people. Um, I have several people in this room who testify that he has no idea how to work with people. Okay? Listen, I'm going to go with what the Apostle Paul says. This is what I am. I never wanted this. But this is what I am. Paul said, woe to me if I preach not the gospel. Today in the United States, it's supposed to be free pulpit day or something like that. And uh, all the pulpits or a number of pulpits are going to preach on political things because you're not allowed to from the pulpit. 
Uh, as you can tell, I b- bought into that one. Okay? I'm not into politics. You know why? They're fading. The government cannot save you. Only Christ can. The government cannot help you stand. Only Christ can. And the only way I know to do that is to give you the knowledge of Christ. When a person has that kind of confidence, that kind of conviction, there is no alternative. One of the things that I see that is corrupting the church in the United States today, and that's just the United States of what I've seen, is that we don't have confidence in the Word of God. Okay, and I'm going to say we, because I can look in this room right now, and I know some of you guys ain't got confidence in the Word of God. You read it, you'll talk about it, but your actions tell me you ain't got no confidence in it. In chapter 4 of this book, verse 7, we have this treasure in earthen vessels, clay pots, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. (laughs) I love that. Okay? He says, you know what? These pots are preachers, but they have a treasure of divine truth. I've had people come in and say, well, you're nothing but a preacher. You should have seen me before I got saved. See, preaching from the clay pot. Okay, a a bunch of homely clay pots. But there is tremendous power. And the credit goes to. To God, I see many pulpits today who have very talented pastors. And their churches thrive in numbers and smiling faces and whatever. And you know what? Those men, and in some cases women, believe they are flat out adequate. And yet the ones who transform lives, the guy says, I'm keeping it to this book. And the power to transform is God and God's only. Verse 8, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, not despairing, persecuted, not forsaken, struck down, not destroyed. Always carrying around in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifest in our bodies. Got that? Do you see that? My church growth plan collapsed. Not only did it collapse, they're trying to kill me. And I'm perplexed. I'm afflicted. I got people who hate me. They call me names. I have been called a Pharisee and an Antichrist. Well, there you go. And you know what? There's times when I hear that I'm perplexed. You know what? I hate to break the news to you. There's times that I have been despairing. I have been discouraged. 
But you know what? It doesn't waver the confidence in the message of Christ. Verse 13. But having the same spirit of faith according to that it is written. I believed. Therefore. I spoke. We also believe. Therefore we also speak. You know what? I heard a guy the other day saying that the evangelical church in America is sort of like an Arctic river. I said, what? He said, yeah, frozen over at the mouth. You know what I thought about it? He's right. And you know why most of you will keep your mouth shut when it comes to spiritual things? Bet you can't guess. Could be in your outline. Might even be point three. You don't have any confidence in the message. You don't have any confidence in the calling. You don't have any confidence in the gifting. Some of you got younger children. You're going to learn this. It's going to be an awful lesson. I'd like to tell you it won't be, but it is. You raise your kids in the church. You make them go to church. You make them sit there. You make them. Jesus and Jesus is talking to you right now. Okay, and then all of a sudden, they get out of the house, they take off, and they live like banshees. And you think, they were raised in the church. They know the gospel. I remember when he got baptized. I remember when she, she, she walked out crying. I, she said the prayer six times. But you know what? Your faith will not save your children. And if your children don't believe you got confidence in it, you ain't going to put confidence in it. it ain't going to happen. They're going to have to see it. See, I have learned that though I never dreamed of being a pastor, ever dreamed of being a pastor, that I am nothing but a homely clay pot with a precious treasure inside. And I do what I am doing and Paul did what he was doing because they know that they have to. I have been called. I have been set aside. I have been gifted. Now then, guess what? So have you. You have been set aside for a task for the Father. You have been gifted for that task. But I wonder how many in this room have any confidence in it. Do you have enough confidence that no matter what is happening, I'm not wavering? Are you as Paul here quotes the psalmist? I believed... Therefore, I spoke. See, Paul was on track because you know what? Paul knew he had no option. This is it. Why? This is my life goal, my ministry. How about you? I remember Henry Piontek. Um, he, he started having health problems. His wife had died and he started again and he moved down to the assisted living thing. 
Um, and, um, and it just kind of kept getting worse and worse and all the rest of it. So he was a vet, and they moved him up to the VA um, um, nursing home thing. And there's a place to go visit. But anyway, um, uh, I remember going up and visiting, and he wanted to start. He's in his early 80s, uh, with a lot of physical problems, and he wanted to start a Bible study. Why wouldn't you just stop? You're done, Henry. I mean, you survived Bataan. Uh, you kind of, you know, you're a prisoner of war during all of World War II. Uh, dude. And he said, no, I want to start a Bible study. Sure enough, I got him some stuff. I took it up there, and one day he's wanting to meet me for lunch. I go cruising in there, and he's got all these guys sitting around, and you're trying to figure out, are anybody here coherent? I, I know that sounds awful, but that's when you walk into the room, you're like, Okay, and he's going through this Bible study, and then all of a sudden you start listening to him. These people are acknowledging him. And you're sitting there going, mercy. And he did that to the day he died. I had the opportunity on the night he died. uh, Those of you, you've probably heard this before from me. Act like you haven't. All right. Okay. When he was walking, when he was walking in the Bataan Death March, he memorized the uh, book of Psalms. Okay, because he said, I want to memorize something that I can bring praises to God. And to the day he died, you could read a psalm. He'd tell you what chapter kind of freaked me out. But anyway, okay, but he he would read it. And on the night that he died, I had the privilege of reading the whole book of Psalms. And when I finished up the book of Psalms, he stepped into glory. Okay, But you know what? That guy had confidence. How about you? Are you on track? Do you understand that there is no alternative? That there is no option? Paul had no vacillation in his calling or his giftedness. And you know what? I see this almost on a daily basis. Questioning themselves anytime there's difficulty. When you have confidence in your calling, when you have confidence in your giftedness, nothing is a threat to that. And everything is an opportunity for God to display his power. Dude, it don't get no better. I don't care how bleak it is. Verse 4, that word there, patho, confidence. Secular Greek, it means to win. To win. I have confidence. I'm going to win. I'm going to keep moving toward the goal. I'm going to keep moving to the triumph. I'm going to keep moving to the victory. You know, I've heard people try to tell me, they say, well, if you're a good pastor, you have a competitive nature. I was like, what? Nah. If you're a good pastor, you're confident in the word of God, in the spirit of God, in the giftingness of God, the calling of God. It ain't competitive. It ain't like I'm going to, hey, I'm going to get a trophy. Paul believed in the call of God. Paul believed in the gift of God. 
Paul believed in the power of God. He believed it was in his life. And regardless, even if they stoned him and put him on a pile of manure, he got back up and did it again. Even though he was nothing more than an earthen vessel, nothing more than an old homely clay pot, he was committed to the fact that God had set him apart to serve. Now then, I believe this is extraordinarily crucial. More so than I believe that many in this room are aware of. Okay? One of the reasons I made a statement, and you heard me just a few moments ago, that good pastors are competitive. That's ridiculous. Okay? Can anybody tell me what sport Paul played? I mean, if you stoned me and throw me out on a pile of manure, I'm thinking that it was hockey. <laughs> but I, I mean, other than that, I don't know. I believe this is made more crucial than what we give light to, and it ain't got nothing to do whether you are competitive or not. If you go to the book of Acts chapter 4, Acts chapter 4, verse 13, Peter and John are arrested for preaching. They laid hands on them, put them in jail until the next day, verse 3 says. And yet, even in their arresting, it says a number of men had come to believe in the message, and there was about 5,000. On the next day, the rulers and elders of Jerusalem gathered together in Jerusalem. High priest was there. And these are the same ones who had arrested and crucified Jesus. And they uh, bring him before him after they spent the night in jail for preaching Jesus Christ. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 8, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, we are on trial today for a benefit done to the sick man as to how this man was made well. Let it be known to all of you, all the people of Israel, and by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stands before you in good health. He is the stone which is rejected by you and the builders, but by which came the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. And you're sitting there going, Peter, <laughs> you're going to be martyr number two. They just killed your boss 41 days ago. You might want to go, Shh. You know what's amazing? Read verse 13. Now, as they observed, okay, the elders, the priests, the Pharisees, and the Sadducees, that would be the they there. As they observed, what? The confidence of Peter and John, and they understood that they were uneducated, untrained men. They were amazed. And they began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. 
Do you see that? He didn't do no tricks. He didn't walk on water. He didn't heal the dead. He didn't blow up the temple. Didn't do nothing. What did he do? He handled the scripture and the power of the Holy Spirit with a confidence that said, you know what? Jesus is up from the grave. And there is no other way to be saved. Allah can't do it. Muhammad can't do it. Democrats can't do it. Republicans can't do it. Only Jesus can do it. And there is confidence. And I will not bend psychology, methodology, philosophy, or anything else with it. I have confidence in the word of God. Peter had confidence in the word of God. Paul had confidence in the word of God. An incredible confidence. They were not educated. They were not trained. They did not have social status. They believed what they said and they therefore spoke. Linsky called it a raging confidence in the face of death. Yeah, that's a good term. Verse 29 of that same chapter. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bond for servants may what? Speak your word and all confidence. All confidence. I watch young people today struggle because they have no confidence in what they have read. They don't have it. I've read it. It says don't do this or it does do that. I just don't think that's right. They don't understand this is the 21st century. Really? Really? Men are the spiritual leader of the house. Well, but that was just, you know, it's just, you know, you, 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 can, you can lead from the back. Really? I had a friend of mine who drove a fire truck <laughs> leading from the back. Okay? He rode on the ladder truck, and he's a fireman, and they put him on the back where they have the second set of wheels so that the ladder doesn't crash into things. And there was a fire, and they took off, but they didn't tell him one small problem. If you steer from the back to make the back keep up with the front, you have to turn opposite of the direction of the fire truck. Okay? Think about it. It'll all come to your head. If that fire truck turned left, you got to turn that wheel right so that you swing around it. If it turns right, you swing left so it turns this way. After he took out the plate glass of several dry cleaners and convenience stores, they said, Fred, you need to get off the back of the truck. Okay? That's what happens when you leave from the back. <laughs> all right? I was just following I believe that the greatest part, the greatest issue of strength in the early church has nothing to do with raising the dead or healing issues. I believe that it was a confidence in the preachers. It was a confidence in the men and women who came into an intimate relationship with the creator of existence. And in that intimate relationship had a confidence that would not waver. They were willing to give up everything for what they believed and thus I spoke. 
See, confidence did not rest on personal talent. Confidence does not rest on personal abilities. Because this is not self-confidence. I've heard people tell me, anyway, he's, he's, he's too confident. Really? By the time I get ready to preach a message, yes, I'm pretty sure about what I'm saying. Okay? This ain't self-confidence. That's arrogance. It is a strong, unwavering belief in the reality that we are called and we are gifted. That's what verse 4 is saying. I want you to look back at your text. This is totally awesome if you think about it. We have this confidence it is through Christ toward God. <laughs> I want to close with this thought. <laughs> Their confidence came from where? You are letters written by the Holy Spirit through Christ. Therefore, I am confident through Christ back to God. What are we here? The aroma of the knowledge of Christ to all men and where? Back to God. Do you see why Paul says we're nothing but clay pots, earthen vessels? Why? You're just a container. You're just a conduit. You cannot screw this up. It's impossible. You're the box that the gift came in. How bad can you mess that up? That's why Paul could have the confidence. Why? I believed. Therefore, I spoke. See, their confidence of the adequate minister comes from the Holy Spirit through Christ through you, to Christ, to God. Where did it start at? God. Where does it end up? God. You're the conduit. You're the channel. You know, I've heard people try to describe the Christian life. It's a glass. And what you do is God pours it in. And then all of a sudden it fills up. And then it pours over and it spills on everybody else. That's silly. True minister of God is a glass that God knocks the bottom out of and he holds it sideways and flows through it and it gets flowing so hard you don't even see the glass no more. That's the difference. Because see, if you're the glass sitting there and spilling all over, you can still see the glass. At some point you will come to the point where you realize that it ain't you. You just believed, therefore you spoke. I see this all over the place. In uh, the letter to the Romans, verse chapter 15, verse 18, the Apostle Paul says, I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, resulting in obedience to the Gentiles by word and deed. Paul says, it ain't me. I'm not tricky. 
See, if you go back to your text, chapter 2, verse 17, he says, we are not like many peddling the word of God. Remember that? See, the fakes have self-confidence. They think they can do it. They think they have the ability. They believe that they are adequate. And yet the Apostle Paul says it is from God through Christ back to God. Look what verse 17 says. But as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. Then you drop down to verse 4. For we have confidence through Christ toward God. See, our service is rendered not in our ability. It is not to satisfy ourselves, but it is through Christ that the goal and the motive will be pleasing to God because it is God who has gifted and called us. God is the source. Okay, if God is the source, then what is the goal? God. God, when you struggle with relationships, what's your focus on? It ain't through Christ. It ain't towards God. Therefore, you have problems. See, Paul understood God is the goal. Paul understood that he was called by God. Paul understood that it was holy calling. Paul understood that God was the one that he desired to please. Chapter 4, verse 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessel so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be what? Of God. Chapter 5, verse 18. I'm seeing a pattern. From now these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us a ministry of what? Reconciliation. Where did it come from? God, I'm seeing a pattern here. I'm just thinking chapter 6, verse 4. But everything commending ourselves as servants of God. That's why Paul could minister on the brink of death. That's why Paul could continue to minister through all that he endured. And Paul never, ever, ever wavered. Never He was so confident in his calling. He was so confident in his gifting and the power of God operating his life that he believed and therefore spoke. That's a bold confidence in calling to never waver. That confidence will give you courage, will give us courage. And allowed Paul, it will allow us to take whatever comes and even stand on the edge of death and be unwavering in our faith. That is an adequate minister. That is an authentic minister. I'll close with this thought. If you sit here this day, every one of you, I don't want you to think that, you know, my wife needs to hear this or my husband needs to hear this or my kids need to hear this or anything like this. I want you to think right now. You, before a holy God, Where's your confidence? With that, I'll pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for my brother, Paul. Uh, The amazing things you have shown me through his life. Father, I lift this body to you. These people who have heard this message this day. 
that they understand the urgency of the day and how easy it is to waver. Please, Lord, let us be confident in our callings. Let us be confident in our giftedness. Father, as we walk in a manner worthy of this, Father, help us. Help us to die to self that you may increase. And then, Father, our confidence will not be in our abilities or our talents, but our confidence will be in the King of kings and Lord of lords. For such a day as this, you have each of us. Let us rest in that assurance to your glory and praise. Amen.